0: In Luke 16, Jesus tells a story about a place in the afterlife known as Abraham's bosom. Now, what is that all about? Also, there are several different Greek and Hebrew words that all get translated as hell, but they all actually have unique meanings. So why does the Bible have so many different words for hell? You'll find out the answers to all those questions today on the Cross References Podcast. Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, I'm a pastor, and I'm planning on going to heaven someday because I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that gives me a lot of comfort, a lot more comfort, in fact, than even some believers in history were able to have. And i'll explain why that is today jesus is the only way to heaven he said it himself when he said i am the way the truth and the life notice that he said the way not a way the way so there's only one way to heaven and a million ways to hell and that's why jesus said broad is the way that leads to destruction so enter by the narrow gate there are a million different paths that religions of the world try to say will help you find god But if it's not through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have the right religion. If it's not by Jesus being God in human form who died for our sins, then you don't have the right Jesus. And if it's not 100% by Jesus, with salvation being a gift of God that was not of any good works, then you don't have the right gospel. So there's only one heaven that can be found, but what about hell? Are there more than one types of hell? Most people get their idea of hell from a popular book many years ago, called Dante's Inferno, and it draws on some of the most uh, common biblical depictions mixed in with some fiction and superstition, but it's probably the most influential work in history on what hell is like. It gets some things right and some things wrong. One thing Dante's Inferno mentions is that there's nine different layers of hell, and the one you go to depends on what your particular sins were. Now, the number nine and the specifics of this, they come from Dante's own imagination, But there is a biblical logic behind that idea, and we're going to discuss that today. So don't be weirded out that uh, I'm I'm going to try to put in a bunch of extra biblical stuff to confuse you today um, as I'm discussing what I want to explain today. I'm not going to be doing that. Don't be afraid of of any of that. Everything we talk about today is straight from the Bible itself, and it's stuff that you've probably read a hundred times before, but you may have never quite understood what you were reading. So we're going to dig into a few different key terms from the Bible, some of which is obscured in our English translations, we're going to discuss hell a lot, and at the end we'll also explain what the spiritual location called Abraham's bosom actually is, which is something that throws a lot of Christians for a loop when they read about it in Luke 16. So grab your Bible and make sure your air conditioner is on, because today's lesson is going to be a little hot. One problem we have with being English readers of the Bible is that occasionally we miss out on some subtle references within the original languages of the scripture, which were Greek and Hebrew. And I want to emphasize occasionally because almost all the time, I would say easily more than 90% of the time, words have the same definition from Greek to English. And I want to laugh sometimes at pastors who go to the trouble to like teach their congregation a Greek word that actually has the exact same meaning in Greek as it did in their English Bible, you know, and I don't want, I don't just want to laugh, I actually do laugh, because when I hear that, I'm like, why did they even bother? You know, as a pastor myself, I want you to have confidence that what you're reading in the Bible is exactly what God said, and you truly can have that confidence, you know, if you're reading a a tried and true Bible translation, you shouldn't need to worry about that, And, and what we miss out on most of the time, because whenever we read it in English, what we miss out on the most are some of the puns, Or rhymes or wordplay that you know some of the characters in the Bible they used language playfully in that way Um, so that's a time when it's relevant to bring in like what the original languages said I don't even like to bring up the Greek and Hebrew words unless doing so would actually contribute something that's significant to our understanding and that's what we're doing today we'll talk about how our English translations um, they do us a slight disservice sometimes by oversimplifying some words. You know, we see this with the word love um, in English, of course. In the the Greek New Testament, there's actually four different words that could be translated as love. And they all refer to a different aspect of love. There's agape, store, eros, and phileo. And agape is unconditional love. Phileo is a friendship love. Store, that's what C.S. Lewis called affection, Um, usually affection between uh, family members. And then eros is based on physical desire. So, you know, depending on what word is being used for love in a New Testament passage, well, that can change our understanding of it just a little bit. And so that's a common example that you can look to sometimes when you talk about how understanding the original language or the Greek word being used, well, that can assist our understanding of a biblical passage. And then another example of that and what we're going to talk about today is when it comes to the word hell. Now, there are multiple words for, for this, um, which could all be translated as hell, but understanding which one is being used, they could actually help us to understand different aspects of the afterlife. There are words like Hades, Gehenna, Sheol, the lake of fire. All of these are often equated as hell, but do they all mean the exact same thing? So we're going to discuss that today, one word at a time, and this is going to help you with your understanding of the afterlife. So we'll begin with Hades, who you might recognize as the bad guy in the Disney movie called Hercules. Now, um, I, don't, I don't much care about Greek mythology other than how it relates to the Bible, as we'll talk about here. So the word Hades, that was a word um, that could refer to the, the Greek underworld in Greek mythology, um, or the god of the underworld, like in that movie. Uh, but Hades is a word that just broadly speaking... And when you see it used in the Bible, what it's referring to is not anything from specifically Greek mythology. It's just referring to the underworld. Um, now, if you're a believer, you'd say that you shouldn't have to worry about the underworld, because after all, it, the, the underworld, it must be hell, right? Because it's said to be under the world. That's how we think of hell. Uh, a place where Hades shows up in the Bible is Matthew 16, 18. And I also say unto thee, this is Peter or Jesus speaking, that thou art Peter... And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the Greek word for hell right there is Hades. And it's a little confusing, because sometimes Bibles translate it as just hell, other times as Hades. I was reading the King James Version right there. It just translated translated it as hell, but other translations might say Hades. Uh, here's, a book, uh, here's the book of Luke, chapter 16. It's telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus says and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So, again, we'll discuss Abraham's bosom later on in the program. But just notice that here that uh, hell and this location of Abraham's bosom, they are right next to each other. They're right next to each other. And the New King James translates that last verse saying, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So, Hades is a place of torment and suffering. The rich man also mentions, as you read this, um, it's hot and fiery, and that jives with our traditional understanding of hell. So Hades is down there, and, and we could say that's part of, as we said before, Hades means the underworld, okay? So we would think the underworld is just simply hell, but look what was right there alongside them in the underworld. It was this place of Abraham's bosom, where obviously it's not a place of torment and fire and, and pain. So um, we're going to come back to that idea later, but but just keep that in mind, that this idea of the underworld, it's much bigger than just simply Hades. All right, now some people take the story of the rich man and Lazarus as a parable, and I just want to mention this before we go on too. There's a few problems with interpreting it that way. For one, when Jesus introduces it, he doesn't call it a parable. Two, one aspect of this if it was a parable, one aspect of it that's not in any of the parables is a name. Jesus never gives a name to anybody in in any of his parables. And yet we see here that there's a person named Lazarus in this story. And in three parables, they are stories about earthly things that teach us a spiritual reality. Well, this story is not doing that. It's just teaching us a spiritual reality directly. So I don't think it fits the profile of a parable. I think Jesus is telling us here about a real thing that actually happened. So Hades is the underworld, and it's a place of torment and suffering, or at least that's a part of what's down in the underworld. Um, Let's look at another word now. Let's look at this word Gehenna. This is a word that referred to an actual physical location outside of Jerusalem, and this was a dump, okay? This was a place where they burned and extinguished trash. In the Old Testament, this was called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. In the New Testament times, it was known as Gehenna. And there are 11 times that Jesus refers to Gehenna in the Bible, and he's using it as a metaphor for what hell is like. In Luke 12, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into Gehenna. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Mark 9, verses 40, 43 and 44, it says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than, rather than having two hands to go to hell, where the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So Gehenna is a place of fire that never goes out. It was a physical location by Jerusalem, but Jesus used it symbolically or metaphorically of hell. So the difference in Hades and Gehenna is that Hades referred to a holding place or a location that you go when you die, while the use of Gehenna, it refers specifically to everlasting fire that never goes out. So think of of Hades as a location and Gehenna referring more specifically to the fire in that location. Okay, there's another word which is actually only used one time in the New Testament, and that is Tartarus. Tartarus is a word... That means specifically the lowest and the worst part of hell, the deepest darkness of hell. It's only referred to in 2 Peter 2, 4, where it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, or Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And that's, that's just a part of a sentence, actually. This, the sentence goes on in more verses, but, but just to pause right there. There was a specific subset of the group of angels who rebelled against God with the devil back when Satan was cast from heaven, okay? Or let me, let me slow down a little bit. You're probably aware that one-third of the angels rebelled against God along with Satan, and that's what Revelation 12 teaches us. But um, there's a subset of those angels, not talking about all of them, just a, just a group of that set of one-third of the angels. And that's what Second Peter is talking about. Okay, most of those fallen angels who rebelled with Satan, they're probably still causing problems even today. But of that group of angels of that original group, there were these particular angels who tried to do something extra bad. And I haven't really talked about this before. It's in Genesis six. I'll need to touch on this sometime. There was a particular group of angels who tried to mess with the human genetic code. All right. Our DNA. And they tried to create an altered race of humans. Now, if you've never researched this subject before, you probably think I sound like an insane person right now saying this. And that's okay. I mean, this is right there in the Bible. It's in Genesis 6. This was a big part. I mean, really the main reason that God sent a flood on the earth. And I'm not going to get into that whole story today. I'm just mentioning it because this is what 2 Peter 2, 4 is referring to. Let me read the verse again. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell or Tartarus and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So these angels who sinned were those particular extra bad angels who tried to corrupt the bloodline of humankind. And those particular angels, they were so bad that God had them locked away in the deepest and worst part of hell, which was Tartarus. And that's where they are today. So we've covered three words today. Hades, which refers to a location. Gehenna, which refers to the fires of hell. And then Tartarus, that's the lowest part of hell. Now, there's a couple other spiritual domains that are probably references to hell in the, in the New Testament, even though they aren't specifically, specifically called or translated that. One of them is outer darkness. It says, Jesus says in Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12, And I say to you that many will come from the east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sons of the kingdom there, that's talking about Jews, but specifically the Jews who rejected Jesus. They are the ones who will be excluded in the afterlife. So this is pretty clearly talking about hell. So from this, we learn that hell is dark and that the people there are not having a good time. Matthew 25, 41 also says this. It's another quote from Jesus. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire pre- prepared for the devil and his angels. So everlasting fire, that's surely referring to hell, probably specifically the lake of fire. We'll discuss the lake of fire later. But the lake of fire and hell or Hades, they're, they're all said to be fiery, okay? Regardless, hell is a place that is fiery, and and frankly, it's a place that mankind deserves because of our rebellion against God. It wasn't created for man. God made it for the devil and the fallen angels, but man goes there too if he chooses to follow the devil instead of God. If he chooses the devil, he also gets the devil's fate. Another phrase we sometimes read in the Old and New Testaments is the bottomless pit or, or the pit Known as Abuso in the Greek and Shekath in Hebrew, it's a place of destruction for the unredeemed. In Revelation 20, Satan is thrown in there for a thousand years. He doesn't want to be in there. I mean, if he did want to be in there, God would probably would have put him somewhere else. Uh, but when he's there, Satan is probably going to experience the same torment that he's led millions of souls to. So that, but that's that's future. That's Revelation 20. Let's talk about Sheol. That's an Old Testament word that you've probably read before, S-H-E-O-L. This is a word that some translations just straight up render it as hell. Others will just leave it as Sheol. And it just kind of depends what translation you're reading. Like Isaiah 14, 15 in the New King James Version. It says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Okay, that was New King James. Let me just read that same verse in just the regular King James. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, I don't really care if you use one translation or the other. I just want to talk about what Sheol actually means. Now, it is hell, but it's also something a bit bigger than than hell. Sheol was the place that all of the dead went when they died, whether you were righteous or not. This was the place of all the dead in the Old Testament, saved or unsaved. For example, Isaiah 14:15 in the NIV, it says But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. So they don't say Sheol or hell. They call it the realm of the dead. It's trying to clarify things whenever it says that. When it says the realm of the dead right there. Because it's talking about where all people go when they die. Some translations also will say that Sheol is just the grave. Okay? Just meaning where you go when you die. Even though Sheol is often translated as hell, it can't simply just mean hell as in a bad place. Because it says good and bad people all end up going there. Like Job 14, 13, where it says, Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past. So the word grave in that verse, it's Sheol. And obviously, Joel is not praying, or sorry, Job. He's not praying that he would be hidden in hell (laughs) until God's wrath passed. Because hell is God's wrath. So why would Job wish that he was just dead and in hell if 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 Sheol was always a bad place of torment, you know, why would that be better than what he was going through on earth? And King David in his poetry, he also talks about going to Sheol and, and we know that he expected to go to heaven. But then again, we, we can find a lot more verses that talk about Sheol being places, being a place that you don't want to go. Um, but, you know, not from, not necessarily from King David, but other places it you know, it speaks of Sheol very negatively. So what's going on with that word Sheol? Well, I'll explain. And if you've never heard this before, it's going to sound really wild. Um, This is an aspect of the Bible that's just not taught very often. So it might feel unbiblical to you. I've been trying to show you all this stuff right from the scripture. Uh, But by the time we're done today, um, here's what what I want you to walk away with whenever whenever you're done with this program today. I want the Bible to make more sense to you than ever before. So I know I'm going to throw out some stuff here that's maybe a little wild, a little edgy, maybe something you just haven't read before or heard about. I'm trying. Hopefully, though, by the time I'm done, you will actually understand your Bible better than you did before you started this program. So that's what I'm going to try to do. So what is Sheol? Well, Sheol refers to the holding place for the dead. In the Old Testament times, everybody who died went to Sheol, whether you were a believer in God or not. Now, Sheol had two different areas that you would go when you died. You would go either to Hades or you would go to Abraham's bosom. The righteous people who died went to Abraham's bosom and the unrighteous people went to Hades or hell. So Hades was a place of torment and Abraham's bosom was a place of peace. Now, I know that Abraham's bosom is a its a weird name, okay? I can't explain to you where the name came from. They they didn't ask me when they were coming up with names. If they did, I probably would have suggested something else. Also, this let me just say this too: Abraham's bosom is just a euphemism. I mean, that might not have been the like the official name. Other places in the Bible uh, will use the word paradise, you know, to talk about this place. Um, it's a euphemism, kind of like how we say the great beyond. You know, sometimes whenever we talk about heaven, we might call it something like that. You know, they, he went off into the great beyond. Um, it's just a euphemism. Uh, so don't, don't overthink it. Uh, but the, this was the euphemism they came up with for the good part of Sheol. They called it Abraham's bosom. So again, they didn't ask me my opinion. I probably would have said something that didn't sound so weird, but this is where that, that's just what that name is referring to. Okay. So I can't give you the history of where that name came from. I'm just telling you today what it is. So whenever you read in Luke 16, what are they talking about with... The, there was a, the poor man at Abraham's bosom? Like, what's that all about? That was just a euphemism for the good side of Sheol or the underworld. It was the good side. It was the, it was the place of peace where the righteous people went. Okay? Now, I know this is going to be confusing for you because you would just assume that a righteous person just goes to heaven whenever they die, okay? And that would be correct right now. If if you died today and you're a righteous person, you you would go to heaven, okay? What you might not realize is that that was actually not the case in the Old Testament. Before Jesus died on the cross, you did not go to heaven right away whenever you died. You went to Sheol. You went to the grave. That's where everybody went. But then... You went to this waiting area, if you were a, a righteous believer, you went to Abraham's bosom. Okay, so Abraham's bosom was not heaven. Heaven and hell, they are not right next to each other, okay? Where you just see one from the other, as was the case in Luke 16. that That's not how close heaven and hell are, because Luke 16 is not about heaven and hell. It's about the two places down in the underworld, which were hell and, or Hades, and... Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was just a waiting area. It's where the Old Testament saints were chilling until Jesus died. Now, why did they have to wait there until Jesus died? Because before Jesus died on the cross, these Old Testament saints could not have their sins washed away. You know, there had been no atonement for their sins. Now, maybe you're thinking, but yeah, what about the Old Testament sacrificial system? Well, the Old Testament sacrifices could not permanently wash away your sins. And Hebrews makes that very clear. They needed the blood of Jesus to get them into heaven. You know, if God could just forgive people and take them into heaven in the Old Testament, why would we even need Jesus in the first place, right? So God obviously couldn't do that. He had to send Jesus in order to get his children into heaven. The ones who came before Christ and the ones who would get saved after. So again... If you're an Old Testament saint, what did God do with you whenever you died? Well, you, you went to Sheol, but not to the torment part of Sheol. You went to Abraham's bosom. Other words in history for this part of Sheol were, um, like I said before, paradise. Uh, the Greeks had a word called Elysium that they would use to refer to it. That's kind of getting into more of the Greek mythology stuff again, but this was their conception of that. Paradise, it is used in the Bible like when... When the thief next to jesus on the cross whenever he gets saved and jesus tells him today you will be with me in paradise that's luke 24 43 now did jesus go to heaven right after dying on the cross no actually he didn't he he went down into the earth into sheol and he set the old testament saints free so that they could go to heaven so paradise doesn't refer to heaven right here like like many people assume paradise here refers to the concept of Abraham's bosom and in Jesus' own words this is where he went whenever after he died on the cross and where he where he met up with the thief again down there in Abraham's bosom And so I would say that that paradise or this holding place in Sheol that perhaps it was brought up into heaven after Jesus died on the cross and that's why Psalm 16:10 is quoted in Acts chapter 2 in reference to Jesus and it says this: for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now, this was originally written by David about himself. And as we said, David waited there until Jesus came and got him. But these words were also used prophetically about Jesus, that Jesus was not left there in the underworld. But that is where he did go temporarily during the three days that, that he was in the grave. That's why Jesus said this about himself in Matthew 12:40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Another verse that talks about this is Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 10. It's kind of a weird set of verses (laughs) to read until you know all the stuff that I'm talking about today. And these verses are in parentheses in your Bible. It appears parenthetical because it almost seems like a side note, and maybe it kind of is. But so you read through Ephesians, you can skip over these verses and you're not going to miss a whole lot, but I really want to explain the significance of them here. So Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, it reads, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Another thing Jesus did during the 3 days was he went and preached doom, doom to and victory over the evil spirits who were down in this in this underworld, including those fallen angels in Tartarus. And this is explained in 1 Peter 3 verses 18 through 22. Uh, I'll read a part of that. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, when it says that, it's referring to the fallen angels who I mentioned before. They tried to corrupt all of mankind's genetics. This was prior to the flood. We probably need to do an episode explaining that sin, because that when you understand that whole thing, it sheds a lot of light on a lot of other things in the Bible. But but most people don't know about that. So I, if you want an episode on that, you know, let me know. I would I would like to do one soon if if you're interested. Um, Colossians two fifteen, uh, it talks about this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he which is Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You know, so that's talking there about how Jesus uh, preached victory over those imprisoned spirits in the in the heart of the earth at, at, at during the three days after he died on the cross. So after dying on the cross, it looked like the devil had won, right? That's what it looked like up on earth. But down in the underworld, Jesus was going on a victory tour for three days before he finally returned to his body and rose from the grave. So we only see the earth side of things clearly. You know, you kind of have to look carefully throughout the Old Testament or the New Testament to find these clues on what was going on on the spiritual side of things. And by the way, that Ephesians verse that I read earlier, that was quoting from Psalm 68. It was quoted in Ephesians chapter four, but it was originally from Psalm 68. And that Psalm is actually a prophecy of Jesus's victory tour that he was going on during his three days in the grave. That Psalm details his proclamation of victory over the forces, forces of darkness. So go and read that Psalm you know, with that in mind, I mean, it brings that psalm to light in a, in a whole new way. Um, if you don't have the New Testament perspective, it sounds totally different whenever you read that psalm. Uh, you know, it sounds like Israel had just won some earthly battle, but there's a lot of spiritual imagery in that psalm, and it applies even more perfectly to Jesus's victory over death and over the devil when he was on the cross. So, so today, to recap, Sheol, That's where everybody who died prior to Jesus went. Okay, if you were a believer, a follower of God, if you were one of the righteous, you went to Abraham's bosom or paradise, the good side of Sheol. And if you were an unbeliever, you went to the bad side. In the Greek, this place is referred to as Hades. And you can use Sheol and Hades interchangeably, as far as I know. I mean, it's the afterlife prior to the cross. Gehenna is a word used to refer symbolically to what the bad side is like. Okay, so it was a real place outside of Jerusalem, Gehenna. But he, Jesus used it symbolically to talk about what the bad side of Hades was like, the fires of hell. And then Tartarus. Now, that was the lowest part of hell. That's where most of the fallen angels, um, or some of them, where they are th- themselves imprisoned. So anyway, I'm going to take a breath. And then we'll close down. Um, but first, before we do that, I would like to mention one more aspect of Hill that we haven't covered yet today. So I have a, a little bit of an announcement that I want to make. Um, I want to be taking a break for a month or so after this episode. And the reason is that I'm right now. I'm in kind of a transitionary period of life. Um, I'm moving, so I need to t- to kind of step aside from some of my responsibilities a little bit. Uh, some of the things that can wait, such as this podcast. Quite frankly, I just need to take a little break so I can focus on getting resettled. So as you hear this episode, um, I, I might be out of my house by the time this episode airs, and so it's going to take me a few weeks to get like moved and resettled into a new place. And I'm gonna say I probably won't have a new episode for at least a month. Okay, I'm really hoping to get back to it on Labor Day, um, the first Monday of September. That's gonna be my goal, if possible, to have cross references return on Labor Day, 2022. But for right now, uh, and it, it, that's that's still kind of iffy even looking right now. So no promises. That's just I'm telling you my goal right now. But it's gonna take me. I need to take a little bit of a break. So. I'm sorry to say that. I'm really going to miss doing the show because this is one of my favorite things to do uh, each week. And um, and I really had just a lot of fun this past summer. We've had a new episode just about every week all summer long. and But like I said, I had to skip last week because I just got too busy with starting this whole whole moving process. So uh, I was moving stuff into a storage locker last weekend and I wasn't able to get a new episode out. And so I hated that. Yeah, I'm giving you this one, but I got to take a little break. So I'll miss you guys and I'll try to be back As soon as possible. If you want to hear more from me, though, I do have another podcast. It's, it's news oriented. It's called fake news, a fiery, but mostly peaceful podcast. And I won't be producing any new episodes of that one either. But I mean, I have like 33 former episodes on all kinds of topics, you know, current events related media related. But if you're looking for some new stuff, um, you can browse through that show. If you're looking for some content in the meantime, but like I said, I really hope to be able to bring this podcast and that other one to be able to bring them back on in a month or so. Um, I can't promise it because I just don't know exactly what the next couple months really look like for my future. Uh, but honest to goodness, that that's my hope and my plan. So if you have a question on this content from today, from any time in the past, anything we've talked about, then uh, leave a comment or shoot us an email, cross-referencespodcast at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you'd like to see me tackle in the future. But like I said, don't expect to follow up on, on anything that you send for at least a few weeks. But um, that that's kind of where I'm at right now. So next time on this podcast, the plan is to get into Ezekiel 11 and finish up God's great big vision that he started with Ezekiel back in chapter eight. We've kind of spent the whole summer looking at that vision. So I'll try to get back into that and finish up the end of that vision as soon as I can. Now to give a recap, um, I did actually just give a recap a few minutes ago on all the different terms we talked about today. Uh, In the Old Testament though, you didn't go to heaven right whenever you died. You went to a place called Abraham's bosom. And if you were a believer, um, that's, that's where you went. And you were waiting there until Jesus died on the cross. And then he came and, and set you free to go on up into heaven. Even save people in the Old Testament, they could not enter into heaven until Jesus had died for their sins, and that's what Jesus eventually did. He died for the sins of all mankind, for those who had already lived, and for yours and for my sins, who who we came along, of course, afterwards. So this explains what's going on in the story that Jesus told in Luke 16. And if you go and read, um, if you go and read that story now, it should hopefully make more sense to you now than it ever has before. Now, there's one aspect of hell that we haven't covered yet, and that's something described in Revelation as the lake of fire. Uh, Many people equate this with hell. But then you read this in Revelation 20 verses 14 and 15. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, those are some sobering verses right there. In fact, a couple episodes from now, I mean, I'd really like to, to revisit the subject matter of hell and kind of provide an apologetic for it, because this is something that, that even many Christians can struggle with. It, how can hell be fair? Why does it have to last forever? So maybe look for an episode about that whenever we return from our extended break, because I would like to talk about that. But, but what I want to explain today is how death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So Hades, or hell, it's put into the lake of fire. And we might say, well, what's that all about? Because I thought those were all the same thing. Well, not exactly the lake of fire. That's the eternal destination of the damned. It is the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. And it has not been opened up yet. Hades, or Sheol, that's where the unbelievers who have died at all times since the world began... That is a holding area. It's no fun, but it's also not even the final destination. Revelation 20 says that at the end of time, after the millennial reign of Christ, that everybody in Hades will be brought up for a final judgment before God's throne. And after that, everybody who is currently in Hades or hell, they will be dumped into the lake of fire. And that's the eternal destination. And once they're in the lake of fire, they are never... To be heard from again. The lake of fire is the eternal destiny of the devil, the antichrist, the false prophet, those who take the mark of the beast, and most of the people that you know. So make sure you warn them, because this is the destiny that's awaiting most people. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So whatever you can do, Avoid the lake of fire. Commit yourself to Jesus. Save your own soul. Trust in the work of Christ 100% for your salvation. Make him the Lord of your life. And once you've done that, you're on the road to heaven. Now, spend the rest of your life getting as many people as you can to go there with you. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that Jesus is not a way. He is the way